Hey everyone, John here. Just a quick word of warning. Uh, we will be spoiling this film in its entirety, so if you have not seen this film and you don't want it spoiled for you, uh, just hit pause real quick and go and watch the movie and then come back and enjoy the show. I'm not gonna lie, I'm impressed. You've got some balls breaking in here. You should see my balls, then you'd be really impressed. of surviving chick flicks i'm john i'm sammy and i'm joseph on the road again <laughs> yeah so listeners in case you wonder what the road noise is is uh uh joseph's taking the show on the road uh it's a new marketing strategy uh we're gonna hook him up with a bullhorn and he's just gonna hold his phone up and we're gonna do the show live for the people wait a minute wait a minute am i actually getting paid for this that depends. Uh, did Sammy lie to you and say yes? Um, no. I, I, I know <laughs> suddenly, I suddenly, I'm having like strange flashbacks to um, <laughs> to that movie we did. The one, um, oh my gosh, the one where they were driving around the neighborhood with the bullhorn outside the people's house. Oh, uh, polyester. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, was, I, forgot, I forgot to mention him that he kept, kept calling her fat, and I'm just like, dude, you're fat. <laughs> Sounds like he's a hypocrite. Uh, something like yeah. that. Yeah. Well, it's still Pride Month because it's still hot as shit outside, um, and I'm not prepared for uh, the post Pride Month months at all. But uh, we've already done L and we've done G, so this week we are doing it for the bisexuals slash pansexuals slash the rest of us um because there's no there's no pansexual movies to as far as i know but this week we're kicking things up a notch and we decided to go super violent this week uh with the uh bisexual spy thriller atomic blonde so we're gonna play the trailer and then whatever happens happens
Lorraine Broughton, an expert in escape and evasion. Provisioned in intelligence collection. Let's have the crap, shall we? And hand-to-hand -hand combat. It's an impressive set of skills. Talents can be overrated. Lorraine, how well do you know James Gascoigne? Enough to say hello. He's dead. Find out who's hunting down our operatives. Where a lot of brave men and women are going to show up dead. Fuck. Your contact is David Percival. Let me help you with your bags. Welcome to Berlin. Fuck's sake. Trust no one. Oh, bollocks. You look like you need saving. <laughs> so So you made contact with the French operative? Obviously. I think I fucking love you. That's too bad. She's a killer queen. Atomic Blonde, starring Charlize Theron, James McAvoy, Eddie Marzen, John Goodman, Toby Jones, James Faulkner, Roland Moeller, Sophia Butella, Bill Skarsgård, Sam Hargrave, Johan Johansson, and Til Schweiger. Based on the graphic novels by Anthony Johnston and directed by David Leach. Uh, this is the second film that uh, David Leach has directed. But his first to be credited as a director, uh, his first film was John Wick. Which is a great movie. Yeah. And David Leach, he's been like a uh, stunt coordinator for since the, the 90s. And uh, his production company um, produced this movie along with Charlize Theron. Uh, in fact, the, I think the reason this movie got made is someone sent the unfinished graphic novel to Charlize Theron and she was just like, I want to do this. Bring me someone who can do this. And David Leach fell in her lap. But when did this movie fall in your, your guys' laps? You go ahead, Sammy. I want to hear your Yeah, I want to hear this too. <laughs> Sunday. See? I remember. <laughs> I don't Stay remember tuned some... next week. I have a feeling I'm going to remember again. <laughs> Spoilers. <laughs> it won't be until the following week that I might forget because anything I saw more than a year ago is likely. It's a little fuzzy. It's yeah. fuzzy. And and if it's within a four year range, she's like, I'm not sure, but it was probably your damn fault, John. <laughs> You're look, the look. Okay, in my defense, I remember the film, but. For whatever reason, unless something big was going on, the actual watching of it was not that significant. So sure. I might remember if I watched a film in theaters, but if I didn't, yeah, it's anyone's guess. Yeah. Some of us have special childhood memories of seeing movies. 
And then some of us just remember unimportant shit uh, <laughs> instead of important shit. <laughs> Names won't be mentioned. However, but you got a one in three guess. <laughs> I do remember the first time I saw Titanic. Good, so do I. It was opening I, night. I remember in the that theater. too. I was on a date. Yeah, I, it was awkward. I saw it with my parents. So I'm sorry, you were old enough to be on a date when you saw it? Me? Well, my my parents were there because I was when did it come out? Ninety seven. Oh yeah, I was like twelve or thirteen. Yeah. So, <laughs> so uh, it was quote, it was, quote, it, was quote, it was a yeah, quote unquote date. It was I was, it was a girl I was interested in, and you know, I was old enough to see it on a date date. I saw it with my parents. Yeah, it wasn't actually a date date, but this one I remember seeing. Yeah. I well, uh, when I was married, I went and saw it with my wife at the time, and we both really enjoyed it. And it was just one of those that one of those few movies that we actually came out of the movie and was like, oh, that was really good because we had very different taste in movies. Yeah, but yeah, I I highly enjoyed it in theaters, and this second time around, I. It was even better, I think. Spoiler. Uh, there's, I'm, I spoil everything. <laughs> I'm just not going to make the joke and move forward. Uh, so, <laughs> this may shock you guys, but I saw this opening weekend in the theater. So, <laughs> moving on. Uh, so, if you haven't seen the film, uh, I, I did my best to uh, summarize this film. And just not plagiarize Wikipedia. So, welcome to the best plot synopsis John was capable of. Okay, we'll make it good, though, so you can actually let those of us who saw the film in on what the film, what actually happened. Okay, just pay attention for the next two minutes. Days before the collapse of the Berlin Wall, MI6 agent James Gastion, played by Sam Hargrave, who was also a stuntman on the film and... Uh, a camera operator on one of my favorite sequences in the film, but we'll get to that later. James Gassion is killed by KGB agent Bacton, who steals a watch from him containing The List, which is a microfilm containing the names and identities of every active intelligence agent on both sides of the Cold War. Lorraine doesn't fully trust LaSalle, but she ends up sleeping with her anyway. Lorraine and David investigate a watchmaker who is later visited by Bacton, who says he has a watch full of secrets that he wants to sell to the highest bidder. CIA director Kersfield, played by John Goodman, meets with Lorraine to say that Agent Satchel has been compromised, while David stalks and kills Bacton and takes the list for himself. Upon inspecting the list, he discovers the, the identity of Satchel. Lorraine finds out an ex-Stasi officer nicknamed Spyglass has given Bacton the list, but not before he memorized the list himself. She and David forge a plan to smuggle him out of East Berlin, but David has already met with Bramovich, who offers him the identity of Satchel to keep the balance, a meeting in which a meeting that LaSalle photographs. Lorraine and company begin the extraction of Spyglass, but David shoots him in after the KGB fails to kill him. During the escape, Lorraine and Spyglass are hit by a truck and end up in the river where Spyglass drowns. Lorraine discovers that David has been tracking her the entire time thanks to a bug he planted in her coat. LaSalle threatens David and he breaks into her apartment and kills her, but not before she leaves photographic evidence for Lorraine 
showing that David is a double agent. And upon inspection of the photograph, she realizes that he has the list. She tracks down David and kills him in revenge for LaSalle and takes the list for herself. In her debriefing with her superiors, Kersfeld and MI6 director Agent Gray, during, during the debriefing, she's told that David has told Gray that he was very close to Satchel, and she gives him doctored recordings and pictures to, to paint David as Satchel, but denies having the list. Without the list, MI6 closes the case. Three days later, Lorraine meets Bremovich in Paris, who addresses her as Comrade Satchel, before ordering his men to kill her, and then she just kills everyone, revealing to Bremovich before his death with an American accent that she had been feeding him misinformation. The next day, she boards a plane with Kersfeld, revealing that she had been a CIA triple agent this entire time, and the pair return home to the U.S. with the list. God damn, this movie's hard. <laughs> okay, I'm sorry. So that's what happened? Yes. 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 Gotcha. Okay, I, I think I watched a different movie. Okay. <laughs> you, you watched Titanic again, is what you did. <laughs> that's irrelevant. <sighs> So yeah, this is not the easiest of plots, and this is and honestly, watching this movie this time it is the second, third, and fourth times I've watched it, and it it does get easier with each viewing. But I'm not gonna lie, the entire time I was watching watching it the first time, I was sitting there going, I don't know how I'm going to talk about this movie without sounding like an absolute idiot. <laughs> I remember seeing it in theaters. And I was like, I have no idea what all happened, but I liked it. Yeah. I, I do remember when I saw it in theaters, I, I kind of walked away with the... I liked it, but it was missing something um, feeling. And uh, I won't say how I felt about it right away uh, on this on this viewing, but I was just like, please don't add any more things to this movie. <laughs> I don't think my brain can handle it. I kind of walked away with the feeling that both of y'all had, um, like not liking it, but feeling it was missing something, but also not understanding entirely what happened. I'll tell you, I, I got a good portion of the big overarching what was happening with the plot. I knew she was going after the list. I knew the guy, I knew that, uh, the one agent had been killed, and that was a big part of the reason she was going after the list. But what I totally missed was the fact that she was a CIA triple agent. Yeah, there were some, there were some moments in the movie where I was just like, why has her accent disappeared? And, you know, upon watching it, it's just like, oh, this entire time she was an American. So I guess she could have been excused for the, um, well... I guess Charlize Theron really isn't technically an American, now, is she? No, and she doesn't have an American accent either. No. She's from Africa, but living in America. So, to revisit an old joke, she's an African-American. <laughs> yeah. I hear your booze, audience. I hear your booze. <laughs> <laughs> there, she, the first time she hosted Saturday Night Live during the monologue, that was the punchline. I can see that on Saturday Night Live. Yeah. <laughs> like, it wasn't funny then, and it definitely is not funny now. <laughs> but John repeated it anyway. 
That does make a little more sense because the entire time I kept thinking, well, she's an MI6 agent. Why does she have a, like, kind of loosely American accent? Yeah. It's because Lorraine is, uh, was working for the CIA the whole time. Uh, I do like the framing structure of this film where it's told in flashbacks, uh, where essentially the plot is given to us between the, the scenes of the debriefing uh, from uh, with John Goodman and Toby Jones. And because Toby Jones was uh, the voice of Dobby in Harry Potter, in, in Harry Potter, just once I wanted John Goodman to scream, you're, you're out of your element, Dobby. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been funny. Yeah. Shut the fuck I, up, Dobby. You're out of your element. I loved it. I thought, I mean, I that was probably my favorite part of the film is how they chose to, to tell the story. Mm-hmm. That's I'm really, really a big fan of that kind of narrative structure where they're telling the story, but you're seeing it in flashbacks, kind of, you know, similar to the way Molly's game was. And yeah. they tell, and a lot of stories are told that way, but I'm a big fan and I particularly liked it in this film. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I, I agree, and uh, I think it, they tell it really well. Plus, um, you know, this is a project that um, Theron was behind since she got the original property. Which I'm going—I know the answer to this question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Has anyone read the graphic novels, *The Call of the City*? Of course, I have. Uh, no, I haven't, but I. I was not at all surprised. So I read an article before uh, we recorded and I just, as I was watching the film, I was like, this has to be based on a graphic novel or a comic book because mm-hmm. it very, very much has that feeling about it. It reminds me almost like a film noir. It was, yeah. it, I had a very similar yeah. feeling to bound watching it. I just thought that this film did a much better job. Hmm. Sorry. I want to stick up for bound, but at the same time, I also really like this movie, so I don't want to argue over the the the, the goodness of two movies I like. Um, I'm probably still gonna ed- I'm probably still gonna edge it out over to Bound because Gina. But anyway, um, yeah. I, apparently, the uh, graphic novel is not as action heavy. Uh, most of the action is a contribution from David Leitch, who you know has proved his entire career he's very capable of of doing that and especially John Wick, and apparently there is there are talks because this film does have a sequel in development. It's going to go straight to Netflix, but there is a discussion on the table of a John Wick Atomic Blonde crossover. What? Oh, my Which, God. But there is this part of me that's just like, that's cool and all, because apparently uh, John Wick 2 and this film were in production around the same time, so Theron and Reeves were in training around the same time. So they kind of became uh, playful rivals, like, you know. Hold on a second. First of all, I was about to say, I mean, that that totally took me out of what I was thinking, because I was completely distracted by the fact that you even tried to compare Gina and Charlize, because, (laughs) I mean, clearly Charlize is the winner. I'm sorry, Karen. Um, Um, Yeah. Listen, Karen and I and every uh, lesbian in San Francisco in 1996 is going to say you're wrong, but we're not going to complain about Charlize. <laughs> the woman wants to make Die Hard for lesbians, and and I, not a lesbian, 
And I'm 1,000% on board with this. <laughs> but, yeah, I am totally down for a uh, Keanu Reeves Charlize pairing. I, I'm, I'm not even sure the world can handle it. My only thing is, I, I want to see this. I want the, that a lot, but at the same time, I'm like, this movie does exist in a reality, and John Wick does not. It is in its own universe. Like, and I don't mean the cinematic universe. I'm like, I'm not sure this is really Earth, and these people are really <laughs> people. I don't know. I'm sure they could figure out figure it out. And if anybody can do it, it would be you know, it's Keanu and Charlie's. And honestly, after the last several movies I've seen her in, it'd be really nice to see her working opposite a guy that's taller than her. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. So you don't want to see her in a Mission Impossible movie. <laughs> this is very true. I mean, I'd love <laughs> to see her in a, in a Mission Impossible movie. Um, and I just want to know how many milk boxes it would take for Cruz to stand eye to eye to her. I'm going to guess 10. Well, honestly, I don't think it would be that much different. I just have to say, I think the last movies I've seen her in are this one where she was across from McAvoy. Um, and then Mad Max, it's hard to tell. I mean, that wasn't really a focus. And then the Italian job, which she was next to Marky Mark. And they just have to get real, real creative with the filming angles. Yeah. Or she only acts opposite John Cena from now on. I don't know. Is John Cena tall? I, I, I'm suddenly, I'm, I'm suddenly worried he's like you know, five six or something. No, I do think he's tall, but I'm more interested in of all the t- tall actors why he was suddenly your choice. Because because John Cena's in everything now. Actually, they're, oh shit, they're about to be in a movie together. F nine. Oh, yeah. Oh, are they really? Yes. Because she was the villain in Fate of the Furious. Look, you just got to put her opposite a Hemsworth brother, and she's fine. Can it be one of the good Hemsworths and not the lessers? There's only three of them. I know. There's very clearly a Hemsworth hierarchy. (laughs) Liam is at least in the middle. Yeah, Chris. I'm assuming Chris is at the top. What's what's the third brother? Who no one there's, cares. Their third brother is the oldest, and I think Not he is Thor. actually an actor in, um, on Australian TV. Oh, if I'm not so, mistaken. Hey, we all get our start somewhere. Heath Ledger started in uh, Australian mm. TV. I I want to argue with you about this um, because I I want to defend Liam. But however. Is he better than Chris? Is he? And yes, I'm I, doing the Thor ice splint. He's very beautiful. But he did marry Miley Cyrus, which makes me severely question his, like, Let's, intelligence uh, level and decision-making capabilities. We're going to have to have a, a throwdown uh, where you keep dissing my girl, Molly. Miley, whatever the fuck her name is. <laughs> You know, I may not remember her name, her name but yeah. I'll be damned. I'm, I'm sorry. Miley Cyrus makes it easy. 
Well, I'm not going to argue with her on that one. She does. <laughs> Look, y'all, y'all, y'all just know there's going to be a reckoning. <laughs> oh, of, course, of course, I'm going to die. I, I'll, I'll, I'd much rather die on the Gina Gershon Hill, but I'm... <laughs> I don't really want to defend Miley either, but I will. Although, okay, so to get back to what we were talking about, though, <laughs> what, what were we talking about? <laughs> I didn't notice it. Like I said, they get creative with their camera angles when it comes to Charlize because I didn't notice the height difference so much in this film. Even though well, I, I just, I know it because I know it's there, not yeah. so much because the filming pointed it out. Well, not just that; it's just the camera angles and just the camera work itself was just amazing in this movie. Yeah. Uh, every fight scene, I was just like, I forgot how fluid this fight scene is. It is beautiful to watch. Well, and the entire uh, spyglass extraction scene uh, is fil- it was actually choreographed and then later filmed with Sam Hargrave, who play who plays the uh, you know James, who's killed at the beginning of the movie. He's the cameraman for that because he knew the choreography, so they strapped a camera to him to help create that POV vision like you're on the ride and you know kudos, I mean kudos to him that's so smart they did so many smart smart mm. things with this film that you it takes a lot to pick up on it's it's so nuanced uh i didn't even pick up on on it until i was reading that article that mentioned the use of color in this film yes. it was so smart i noticed the blue light but they were talking about how the blue was kind of the surface of mm-hmm. who Lorraine was. And any time that red was involved, it was more of her, like, internally what was going on with her. And I just think yeah. that's genius. Well, and uh, a lot of the lighting in this movie has this very special term. And it's kind of a new, <laughs> it's kind of new lingo in filming. But it's been around for a few years now. And it's part of why I picked this movie for this week. It's called bisexual lighting. <laughs> nice. Yes. I mean, it's a movie about a bisexual spy that has the, and it's specifically those colors. Like it's been in a, a Janelle Monae's video for um, "Make Me Feel." It's been in several other movies. I didn't print out the bisexual article, uh, bisexual lighting article on Wiki. Uh, people can look that up, but also there are film professors arguing that this is not a thing as well. So, yeah, I love the lighting in this movie, and also blue uh, outside of a Michael Mann movie just makes me think cold. And I think you know, over there in the Eastern Bloc is cold. I just you know that's just how I feel about it. So something something else with this film beyond the lighting because. I found myself focusing on stuff in this particular film that I don't normally focus on, mm-hmm. like the lighting, the music. And it's not that I won't notice it in other films. I do. But generally, I'm so caught up in the storyline and the acting. Sometimes I miss that um, more nuanced stuff. And this film highlights that. I thought the music was really, oh. really good. Oh, the, the music Which I know this... John is just dying to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's all the... All right. So I have a beef with people that just wrote me... And I'm sorry, Sammy, you're included in this. 
with people that romanticize the 80s because y'all all tend to romanticize this neon day glow girls just want to have fun you know happy upbeat stuff and it's like you guys are ignoring the fact that there was a lot of dark cool shit going on like you know bands like Depeche Mode and Pet Shop Boys and or, you know the early days of Ministry and Wax Tracks track records and all of that shit is represented here plus Public Enemy so, so when I think 80s this is the 80s music I'm into and not so much your girl Madonna, who I know, Sammy, you're a huge fan of. <laughs> First of all, gross. And also, um, you know, I take your point, but I liked this stuff. Even this stuff, the darker side of the 80s, is still superior to the 70s. I- I'll give you... No. <laughs> no. Just, just. I'm no. sorry. I've got some freaking shag carpet and bell-bottoms. The beg to oh, differ. Oh, okay. You go. You go to the two, two of the worst examples. Cool. <laughs> this movie began with Ronald Reagan. Let's let's talk about shitty things in the eighties. <laughs> oh, oh, ouch. <laughs> yeah. God. <laughs> I'm not gonna lie. Whenever I was doing uh, uh, best line, worst line. I, my first entry was anything Ronald Reagan said for worse life. <laughs> Sorry, the man ignored the AIDS crisis and many people died. Anyway, moving forward. But going back to Reagan, uh, I do like the fact that they actually used something you know from our real world, our real history, as a framing device to tell this story because it is about the... <laughs> the end of the cold war the collapse of you know the falling of the the berlin wall but that's not the movie they're telling but it's still important i I just love that that almost history lesson you get at the beginning of the movie and they're just like yeah but this is not that movie although it almost was yeah and it's not like a common it's not like a common vehicle that graphic novel or comic book stylized films or even the graphic novels of comic books themselves use is anything attached to the real world uh, some do some do and, you know um, Watchmen uses a little bit of it although Watchmen is also in a super fantastic world where hero, you know, superheroes and villains exist but there is a lot of real stuff that happened in Watchmen as well or at least inspired Watchmen there was also a giant squid. Yeah, I'm movie. sorry. Oh, go ahead. That's it. Not the movie version. The movie version. Just yeah. a nuclear war. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm going to piss off some purists here, but maybe this will get us some attention. The ending of the comic book Watchmen is stupid, and the movie version is superior. I agree. At me. Just at <laughs> me. Defend the squid. It's giant squid. <laughs> That's all I can say. (laughs) You know, that never bothers me. In fact, I appreciate it because to me it happened with the Divergent series. And people can get their panties in a wad all that they want. But I think that if a book happens and they do a film and there's an opportunity there where if people did not, if we're making the film or a large portion of the fan base does not like the way the story ended they have an opportunity to rewrite the ending. Yeah. 
Well, and also what works in a book, a graphic novel or just, you know, a book book doesn't necessarily translate to the screen because you do have to think about things like running times and budgets. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's why there's no squid in Watchmen because God knows how much it would have taken to do that CGI sequence. But, you know, and that's my also defense of the Harry Potter movies. I'm not a J.K. Rowling stan, especially now. But I always liked the Harry Potter movies for what they were. Because, you know, you can't do a 700-page book in a two-hour movie. Okay, I, I hear what you're saying. I hear what you're saying. However... I've seen it done so well and they and I think that they hit the bar. The reason that things like Harry Potter bother me is because I mean they could have even split it up more and I think that they had a real opportunity with what Peter Jackson was able to do with that story. I don't feel like there's an excuse. And to me, I do hold Lord of the Rings up as like the epitome of what a a film should achieve to do with a book. Yeah, and even even the extended editions cut shit out right and and that's okay it doesn't have to be word yeah it doesn't have to be word for word or anything but Mm. it's it's about doing the story justice and i would also argue i think hunger games is a really another very very good example of the film doing a really good job with the book yeah uh but it's nice and oh go ahead oh and also this is a good reason why i'm incredibly apprehensive every time they threaten to do the Dark Tower as a, you know, a movie series. And I know a movie exists called The Dark Tower, and I do not fucking acknowledge its existence. <laughs> because it is not, not that story. And it can work in reverse. You know, if, if there are books in a series that haven't been finished and it's already gone to television or film, the author of the book can take the opportunity to rewrite uh, a poor ending of the film. <coughs> George Martin, wherever he may be. <laughs> wherever he is, we know what he's not doing. <laughs> Which is actually, exactly you know, what he should be doing. You know, I, I actually made a very bitchy Facebook post and I stand behind it. Of, uh, I hope he, he finishes those books and he puts it into a clause in his contract, in his will, that they are not to be released until 100 years after his death. Because that's how sick of the bitching I am. Because Neil Gaiman, who uh, you know created Sandman and um, you know Good Omens, um, he has pointed out multiple times people bitching about George Martin. He doesn't actually owe you shit. Like he is not our trained monkey, and and he does understand that you know. We as fans may want those books, even though I've not read those books. I have no desire to read those books. I watched the show. I'm kind of done with the show. And I didn't even hate the ending. But I I feel like the internet has pushed him to a point where he's just like, you know what? Fuck these books. (laughs) (laughs) And also, sometimes you do need a a, a life event to get you on the um, path to finishing the things because... This is going to sound really fucked up, but it took Stephen King getting hit by a car to finish The Dark Tower. Really? Yeah, because he came... Well, 
he nearly died, and whenever and he was just like, "Shit, I, I've got to finish that." And however weird it got, he at least finished it. You hear, you heard it here, folks. So uh, tomorrow, when you hear in the news that George R. R. Martin suddenly got hit by a bus, you're gonna know it was John's fault because he gave some psychopath out there the idea that if they did that, George R. R. Martin would complete the next Game of Thrones book. <laughs> Luckily, I I know a lawyer. (laughs) However, this might also get us some more publicity. So, you know, (laughs) is there really any such thing as bad press? Uh, Yeah. (laughs) There is. So, so trying desperately to circle back to the movie we're talking about. I think it's called uh, Laser Yellow or something like that. Um, Atomic something. I'm I'm drawing a blank. Mumbly Joe wrote it or something. I don't know. <laughs> but um yeah, going back, I, I love the use of music in this and I even love the um updated versions like uh I hate giving Marilyn Manson praise, but I kinda really dig what he did with Ministry's uh stigmata and I, I love the health uh cover of Blue Monday, which uh made me laugh. I my first note I took in this well, actually my second note which was James Gascon looks an awful lot like Robert Pattinson to the <laughs> yeah. point where I had to Google and make sure Robert Pattinson wasn't secretly in this movie. Without <laughs> knowledge. <laughs> yeah. It's like, I don't remember this, but anything's possible. Um, but the, uh, they were over that scene. They play the new order version of blue Monday and it, and the subtitles just said upbeat music. And I'm like, in what? fucking universe <laughs> is Blue Monday upbeat. I mean, the entire hook of that song is, how does it feel to treat me like you do? It's like... <laughs> well, I don't know. It was also perfectly timed. I, I thought that I thought this was some of the best use of a soundtrack I think I've ever seen. And that's because, and the timing is specific because David Leach would play the songs on set to time everything like Charlize Theron is listening to Blue uh, to Blue Monday as she's walking down the street um the uh entire um ambush in the apartment is timed to George Michael's father figure which was actually not uh Leach's first choice for the he wanted to take my breath away by Berlin the, the love theme from Top Gun but uh, they, this is a much better choice. <laughs> uh, and also, I love the, the contrast of the uh, apartment fight to the stairwell fight, where as the, the apartment fight is timed to music, and there is no music in that, uh, in that stairwell. You just hear the action of what's happening. I forgot that... That's how it was, because I was so engrossed into the movie where I was like, because she gets the shit beat out of her in this movie. She really does. And and I think that's part of what um, kind of attracted Theron to the project is, you know, um, and well, that and Leech came to the project saying, I know every cliche there is about the spy thriller, and I want to fucking turn it on its head. And and that's when Theron knew, it was like, okay, we've got the right director for this project. I'm actually really glad about how John Wick came to be because we've got two really good directors out of it. Mm-hmm. 
and I don't think they've made a bad movie yet. I don't. I, I don't think they have either. I mean, yeah. there, there's the t- there's still time. Oh, oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh well. I mean, I mean, if you want to get like you know nitpicky, uh, technically David Leach was involved with Orgasmo and Basketball. So, uh, but those are stunt work. Well, I'm talking about ones that they've directed. Yeah. I mean, he does have two films in post-production right now, so anything could happen. Well, he did direct uh, Fast and Furious, Hobbs and Shaw, so... We don't talk about that. (laughs) Oh, God. Is this where Sammy defends Too Fast, Too Furious? (laughs) I was waiting for her answer on that. No, I'm sorry. That's that was a no. I am not. I'm not defending that film. Okay, I was, I was about to say. I don't think even the people that made it can defend it that well. John Singleton, look, the check cleared. I was fine, and I left. <laughs> it was the early 2000s. May, I needed. My- yeah. May, <laughs> may John rest in peace. Okay, so can we talk about Percival for a little bit? Yes, please. I love this character. I do I too. And, uh, He's like a fucking rat as a human being. <laughs> I adore him. I think he's great. And the, and this film did definitely highlight his acting ability. But mm. I did struggle to understand what his end game was. I mean, he was kind of obvious. I sort of liked what they did with his character because what I was anticipating from him was when they started out with his character for him to actually be a double agent. Yeah. And that's what I was anticipating. So it made me question myself and I thought, okay, so because he there he's coming off so creepy, it's it was very scream like. It was because he was coming off so creepy that I just assumed he was gonna be a good guy. Creepy, not chromantic. Yeah. So but <laughs> of course they go with the obvious choice, which is thereby not obvious. I, I think the the reason he is like he is is because his, I mean, his motivation was clearly, you know, he was a king in East Berlin. He, he, you know, he could do everything he wanted. And but ultimately, in that game, you want to be alive when the game is over. His motivation is, I want to survive. So will I work with the KGB and throw this lady under the bus to uh, continue to live? Fuck yeah, I'm going to do that. It, he was he was a pure opportunist. Yes. Also. <laughs> That cast on his arm was a real cast. Oh, really? Because he really broke his arm. Um, he, in between shoots, he was uh, he broke his arm on split, and he called David Leach, and he was just like, "We have a problem." You know, well, imagine <laughs> me say, imagine me saying this, but very Scottish. Uh, we have a problem. I broke my arm, and David Leach, you know, was thinking about it, and he goes, "We're going to use that." So. A lot, so uh, they used his cast to the advantage, but it also meant that uh, James McAvoy was having to endure some action scenes with a broken arm. Oh, wow. Yeah. But you gotta love James McAvoy. He gives his performance 100% every time. Agreed. And, you know, he he, he has this just fantastic ability to just disappear into character, which is great. And whenever he's giving a meek performance, you almost forget he's in the movie. Like I was 
looking at my shelf this week, and I was like, oh, yeah, It Chapter 2. Oh, yeah, James McAvoy was in It Chapter 2. Wait, he was? Yes. Where, what was he in that? He was bit, No, he was Bill. He was Stuttering Bill, the adult version. Oh, my God, that's right. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, you're absolutely right. The first thing I ever saw him in, like, interestingly enough, was The Chronicles of Narnia. So the very first same, time. absolute same. Miss, he was Mister Tumnus. Yes, but he I does. Have he his this, like, it's like what we talked about with Heath Ledger. He just has this wonderful ability to absolutely mm. disappear into his characters, yeah. and it's fantastic. But since we brought up it too, and <laughs> we've also talked about lesser brothers, um, <laughs> <laughs> we've got to discuss Bill Skarsgård as minor of a character as he was. To me, he. He sticks out on screen. He does, and not just because of his face. <laughs> Which, okay. <laughs> um, and the best part is, you didn't know if that was an insult or a compliment. <laughs> I didn't. Because <laughs> I was going to say, as Pennywise, like, he's fantastic. Oh, he God, He's fantastic yeah. as Pennywise. But he's not an unattractive guy. No, he's not. If, when you take away the creepy clown makeup. Or, you know, if you're into that. I mean, we don't kink shame here. <laughs> <laughs> also, real quick, to wrap up my point about it, Chapter 2, uh, the reason we don't remember James McAvoy being in that movie is because Jessica Chastain and Bill Hader were in that movie. <laughs> this is correct, but yes, I do remember it now. Yeah. Oh my gosh, that's crazy. Yeah. However, it, <laughs> oh god. I was going to say, It, Chapter 2, The Missed Opportunity. <laughs> Although, still better than the TV movie. But, yeah. <laughs> I'm kind of wondering if Bill does not have a little bit of that similar thing, which is why you don't notice him when he's in a smaller role like he was in this film. Because he really yeah. just disappeared in this role, too. Yeah. Well, and I think this may have been towards the beginning of his career because he wasn't Bill Skarsgård at this point. You know, you know. True. He was just like but... Al- Alex's brother. It is not debatable. That he is the lesser Skarsgård brother. I'm sorry. And I think part of his... Uh, I don't know. There might be a third Skarsgård brother we don't know about. <laughs> I have a feeling their father fucked anything that would move. Alex can absolutely do no wrong. I have a Tarzan-shaped um, <laughs> point. <laughs> no, that movie was not that bad. It was. It wasn't bad. It wasn't great, but it wasn't bad. Look, Joseph, you're supposed to stay on my side of the argument. <laughs> but I remember seeing it, and I was just like, "This is probably going to be a shit show." And I watched yeah. it. I was like, "Okay, it's not a great movie, but I didn't hate it." It's everybody. yeah. It, it really. <coughs> it is not that bad. Okay. The worst. Also, thing in my defense, it, I never saw it. So the worst thing and about. I'm pretty it, sure he was shirtless at some point in the film. So honestly, I'm uh, fine. About ninety percent of the movie. <laughs> Who else, was in, who, who else was in the movie? Uh, I don't honestly, know. I can't remember because all I remember is Scarlet's Dark Shirtless. Was, was Margot Robbie in this movie? Oh, I think she was. I'm glad was I'm she, not the only one. Was, was she shirtless in the movie? No, because I would have remembered no. that. Okay. <laughs> no, I, was just I, just, I just love that the straight people on the show are talking about shirtless animals to Scarlet's Dark. I'm over here going, what about Margot Robbie? <laughs> I gotta say though, basically, 
him being shirtless during most of the film and it having a better plot and being more well-written than Magic Mike automatically makes it a win. Because the only thing that held Magic Mike together was Magic Mike shirtless. (laughs) At least Tarzan was a decently comprehensible and well-composed movie. Hey, that was my defense of Magic Mike (laughs) 2. It's like, well, well and I would agree with you. Ma- Magic Mike 2 was a better film. Yeah. Well, and the worst thing about, well, I know we're not reviewing this movie, the worst thing about Legend of Tarzan was anytime he stood on a tree branch or whatever, I was like, he is not standing on a tree branch. He is not standing where he is on a green screen. It's very obvious. <laughs> well, and hey, Joseph, I don't want to uh, blow your mind, but in Star Wars uh, Episode 3, they're not really in a volcano either. <laughs> No shit. See, know, and right? that's somebody that's somebody else that's taller. Another option. A Charlize and Alexander Skarsgård film. I'm totally in. Yeah, like I'm still I'm five. still team Charles Char- Charlize. Okay, whether or not he's wearing wrong. a shirt. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> so. Uncomfortable silence. <laughs> no, just I don't have anything to add. Okay, um, hold on. We can cut out this little section. Are you about, is there anything else you want to talk about? Or are you about ready to move into our segments? I, I, I feel like there's more things we should talk about. I'm not joking. But, oh, wow. uh, and I would say a good 40% of that movie is just a rave. There's also drugs and bad things that happen. But uh, it was one of my favorite films of, not last year, but the year before when I got to count it. But yeah, she was also in a movie that uh, should have won an Academy Award and not Academy Award winner, Suicide Squad. What film? <clears throat> Star Trek Beyond. Oh yeah, she stole the show in that in that movie. She did. Her and the Beastie Boys. <laughs> yeah, I forgot about the Beastie Boys being in that. <laughs> yeah, if you want to talk about the one moment that was like a that brought the movie to a screeching halt, it was kind of stupid, music. but at the yeah. same time, kind of fun. Let's yeah. talk about the inclusion of the Beastie Boys in a Star Trek movie. What kind of music is that, sir? It's classical. <laughs> but yeah, I, I really liked her in this movie. <clears throat> I remember seeing her in Kingsman. I think that's the first time I saw that's her. Right. She was great in that movie, too. I think she, mm-hmm. she has a real charisma about her that just... You just... She, you naturally draw, you're naturally drawn to see what she's doing. and uh, Yeah. She, makes it look effortless. Yeah, I mean, she she definitely is a draw in this movie, too, because, you know, not just because we get to see two girls kissy, kissy, smashy, smashy. Um, <laughs> her character does have this presence that, yeah, if you were in that KGB bar in Berlin, you would just be like, Who, who's this? Like, I would probably look at her over Charlize, and I, I, I know what I'm saying. I'm aware. <laughs> It's okay, John. You can be wrong. You're wrong often. John knows what John wants when John sees it. (laughs) Another actor I want to talk about, um, Eddie uh, Marzen, who plays Spyglass, who's just that weak, timid character. He is such a great character actor. He's been working a lot with uh, Guy Ritchie. He was in Wrath of Man this year uh, as uh, basically Jason Statham's like milquetoast boss. But... um, I I saw him a few year, uh, years ago in a movie called Happy Go Lucky. Joseph, did you ever see that one? No, I I always want to see it, but it was one of those okay. movies I 
I need to watch it, just never done it yet. Yeah. He um the movie is does not quite live up to its name. I'm just gonna say that. Uh it, it's really I actually got to see it in this in the theaters here because uh, one of our theaters was uh experimenting with um art house cinema for like a week and a half and realized, oh wait, there's like four people that are gonna show up and one of them's John, so why why keep doing this? <laughs> uh <laughs> But he played uh, the main character's driving instructor, and he is just an absolute bastard in that movie, and just such a great character actor. Like I love seeing him when he pops up. I know he's been in like the Sherlock Holmes stuff with Guy Ritchie. He works with Guy Ritchie a lot lately. Uh, I remember seeing him for the first time in Ray Donovan. Oh yeah, I never saw that show. <laughs> the first season, I really didn't care for Ray Donovan the series but Mm -hmm. everybody in it was good as just i didn't care for the series yeah he was he was a standout performer in this series yeah i think kate manig from uh the l word was in that show she played shane in the l word i'm trying even that was not in and that was not enough incentive for me to watch ray donovan (laughs) (laughs) she was in another uh uh, Showtime series, and I'm thinking it was Ray Donovan. If it, if it wasn't Ray Donovan, it was a Ray Donovan like show. <laughs> probably, you're probably right. I think that's another thing aspect that kind of made this feel because I feel like it deserves that inflection. If we should really mention John Goodman was really good in this too. The cocksucker. <laughs> yeah, the <laughs> I like uh, that. Really funny. And I'll like how they yeah. call it back at the end. He's like, really? Cocksucker? Cocksucker? <laughs> Glad it was believable. <laughs> I do want, okay, I do want to touch on something, though, because John bringing up Inglorious Bastards does make me think of it. I do have a bone to pick with the statement you made at the beginning of the, of the episode where you were talking about, you said something about the movie and its level of violence. And I, I don't know, is it just me? I didn't find this, this movie that violent. Well, I mean, it's it's got violence in it, and um, maybe violence is a harsher word for just action, but I do feel that, you know, probably because they really are, like, every hit and kick and punch is really connecting. Like, Charlize talked about how she buy, had to buy a lot of alcohol after certain sequences to well, make up for what she did. That huge uh, hallway fight, uh, or the staircase mm-hmm. that fight was brutal yeah like it, well, like everybody like i didn't know like if she was i know she survives but you felt like for a little bit like maybe she may not make this yeah <laughs> she's gonna make it well and one of my favorite scenes um in the movie where there is violence but the music choice almost makes it comedic um which is a testament to how good the music choices are but i mean if the scene where a guy is getting beaten with a skateboard doesn't have something <laughs> playing over it that seems just dark and violent but to 99 loop balloons <laughs> i'm laughing my ass off because i'm like that's how you do violence horrific violence because i mean there is that one that initial hit and the blood sprays across the camera um where it's just like, Jesus, you know. I, I think it's the tone of this movie that makes the violence not always seem like, you know. No, no I get what I get what you're saying. You know, it kind of um it kind of reminded me the way they handled violence in this film. 
Mm-hmm. Which, by the way, I completely forgot about that scene. And that was one scene that made absolutely no sense to me. I couldn't understand where it was coming from and why there was a boombox involved initially. But the entire the entire way this film handled violence reminded me of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Because it was so similar in that the the violence in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood was pretty... It was pretty gruesome. It was pretty grotesque, especially that final scene with with Brad Pitt. But mm. it was so underscored with all of Brad Pitt's dialogue that it mm-hmm. it made it funny. Yeah. Well, and that violence was supposed to be for laughs and cheers, whereas some of the violence here and to go back to the why that why that scene was there is those kids were getting contraband from Percival. And Bremovich came in to punish them because shit like even 99 loop balloons was a crime in East Berlin. It should have been a crime in the rest of the world, but that's a conversation for a different day. <laughs> <laughs> even though I do like a cover of that song, but still. Uh, but I think that's why, I mean, I swear, I'm just going to blame Quentin Tarantino for being desensitized to violence in film. <laughs> well... You should come over to the dark side occasionally with me and Joseph and just be like reminded like, oh shit, sometimes violence is not fun. <laughs> yes, yeah, they're martyrs comes to mind. <laughs> oh Jesus. Yeah. Oh God. That movie's beautiful but depressing. Okay. Yeah. Okay. That film has two strong female leads and uh, it's not entering the chat, okay? <laughs> and mostly because it would cause cause me to Either buy spend one hundred and fifty dollars on a, a region free Blu Ray player or seventy dollars on a region one DVD, and John doesn't really want to do either. So moving forward, <laughs> like it was a really well thought out film. Is even the sort of minor characters? Not only were the actors really good, and I think that they did a good job with the casting, but the minor characters served an important purpose for the most um, part. Like they actually did something to advance the story. Yeah. Yeah, Like, uh, everything was important. Yeah. Like, uh, Til Schweiger who, uh, played the, uh, watchmaker. I mean, he's just in like what, three or four scenes, but I mean, I mean, he's even got a presence in those three or four scenes. And it's mostly just because we all remember him as part of the inglorious bastards. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Which is why I tend to pronounce his name Til Schweiger. Are you all ready to talk about our uh, segments? Yes. Yeah. With a better segue, we got to come up with something better. Uh, let's see. I fucking love categories. No. <laughs> yeah. Oh, wait, but let's go back to the violence for a minute. But I do love that some of the violence is fun and some of the violence is just not like. Um, when whenever uh, David kills LaSalle, like I feel that like that's a horrific scene to me. And so whenever Charlize finally takes him out at the end, I love that moment. I think it's just so satisfying. You know what else is fun? Mm. Our segments. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> that wasn't cheesy at all. Um, no. You guys ready to move into our you're, segments? You're doing you're doing my work for me. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, we can move forward. <laughs> this is going to be an easy week for me. I don't know about the two of you, but so for those of you who are just listening, why you came on on this episode, I have no idea. Yeah. But um, we do. A also, they're called... probably wondering. 
they're probably also wondering why Atomic Blonde is a chick flick. This is fair. Um, yeah. You go ahead, John, because I really don't have a word. Okay. Uh, there was one that stuck out like a sore thumb to me. And no, I didn't do the Ronald Reagan thing. Uh, but it was uh, the line, it's like walking on a tightrope or playing the bagpipes. You either do it or you can't. Right? Oh. I mean, it, I mean, it's not it's not the cringiest line in any of the films that we've come across. I mean, it wasn't Jack Nasty, but I was just like, <laughs> that line could have, you could have done a, you could have done better there. <laughs> I, I do have a, not a best line or a worst line, but I do have a most over the top line. <clears throat> All right, who wants to go first on the best line? <laughs> I, I'm glad I wrote down about eight lines, just so in case any of you fuckers steal my line, I got back up. <laughs> All right, I'll go first with best line, since I didn't have a worse line. So right. my, my best line is, the world is run on secrets. I don't know. I, I, liked, the, I liked that entire segment of dialogue. Yeah, and I, I almost think that if this film had a, a tagline, that would be it. Yeah, I can't argue with you on that one. Yeah. I have a few, actually. Yeah, so do I. You just want to go back and forth. <laughs> uh, whenever he was talking about, uh, 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 Satchel was talking about uh, he, he, some uh, lady he was with and said, uh, she once told me, David, you can't unfuck what's been fucked. <laughs> All right, we're crossing one off of John's list. Because <laughs> <laughs> I really like that line. I, that was and, my number one. <laughs> well, let's see if I got this one. Um, you got this one here. Where she's like, you got balls coming in, uh, doing coming in here. He's like, you should see them. You'd be impressed. <laughs> I, actually did, I actually didn't write that one down. <laughs> because I really, I laugh out loud when I heard that one. <laughs> no. uh, well, oh, and uh, so you made contact with the target. <laughs> uh, yeah. Like, yeah. Like, yes, yeah, she did. Yes, I did. <laughs> she did. <laughs> but we, were were all we were all jealous, and we didn't know if we wanted to be the contact or the target. <laughs> oh my god <laughs> so i've got a bunch of incidental lines um of you know don't shoot i've got your shoe um in germany <laughs> we don't make mistakes uh russians are fucking heavy um there was an exchange david hasselhoff's in town lucky yes berlin is truly doomed uh, <laughs> um but when i i one line that I that really stuck out to me was John Goodman's uh, was one of John Goodman's lines whenever he's actually meeting Lorraine in Berlin and he's like seventy miles of barbed wire, three hundred and ten guard towers, sixty five anti tank anti vehicle trenches, forty thousand Soviet trained highly armed frontier troops, all that, and five thousand GDR citizens had, still had the brass balls to escape. Yeah, I, that was a really good one too. Yeah. Um, I, I didn't ask this in you know you know in the days leading up to this episode, but did anyone have you know, like a favorite scene? Because I got about five. Because <laughs> I, I have a lot. Oh, that's a good question. Yeah. I'd have to think on it, but I really liked a lot of the scenes where she's just kind of staring them down in the interrogation room. Oh yeah, because th just the looks that she gave, you can tell she was just ahead of them in every moment. Yeah. Well, and also she got that information from uh, LaSalle where she's like, when you tell the truth, your eyes change. Yeah. And I was just like that. I love that, that those scenes were very intense and nothing was really happening except for dialogue. I don't know. I liked a lot of the scenes with her and McAvoy because I thought they worked really well together. They, they did. did. McAvoy can do just about no wrong. 
Yeah, I'm. I'm sure if I wanted to go on his IMDb uh, and, and scour it, I could find three or four examples of you know not greatness. But I'm not going to do that today. We're just going to hold McAvoy on the pedestal he needs to be held on. Well, and I really love this, even though it's a brutal scene. I really loved where he uh, goes after Sophia Patella, Patella's character. Yeah, and it's extremely violent, but it's a very well shot. It, Kind of funny at times because when she stabs him in the back and he's trying to get out of his back. Oh god, yeah, that's because so... <laughs> that was hysterical. She's mm. sitting there dying and everything. He's just sitting there having a huge fit trying to get the damn knife out of his back. <laughs> well, and I'm sitting there going, "Oh, my shoulder is screaming for you, David." <laughs> Jesus. Yeah, I mean, my favorite scenes are pretty basic. I mean, it's kind of a three-way tie between getting beaten by a skateboard to 99 lift balloons. Um, her beating the shit out of all, all the German police uh, to father figure, and then the whole just spyglass extraction. I mean, that, that's just that, such, a, such an epic sequence. That was great, yes. Because mm-hmm. whenever you think it's going to stop, it just keeps going. Did you think of anything, Sammy? No, I mean, like, <laughs> like I said, nothing, nothing that I didn't already say. Uh, okay, just making sure. Yeah. All right, are y'all ready to move into our final segment? Yeah. Yes. So, what did y'all like about the film that we haven't already talked about? Um, Joseph, you want to go first? Oh, God. Uh, well, we've talked about stuff like this, but there was a bit of music that I, I really liked that we didn't really touch on. Uh, when they, the whole extraction sequence, when you think it's over and they get in the car, there's a huge car chase. Mm-hmm. And I really loved uh, the song I Ran playing. I thought that was perfect. <laughs> yeah. And just and they, and I loved uh, the whole action sequence of that. It was just that was beautifully shot. Because mm. they could be done the paint by numbers, but it was there was things like I for, I was like they kind of kept you guessing what was going to happen. Yeah. Well, David Leach wasn't going to do anything paint by numbers on this movie because that was like his that was like his fucking mission statement. <laughs> True, right. but it was just one of those. You, you it could have easily happened without them probably realizing it too. Yeah, and also, how fucking creepy is that uh, shot of uh, whenever she sees Spyglass is drowned, and just that shot of him just lying there, like you know, just floating there, calm in the water. Yeah, that was that was pretty. That was a pretty creepy, but really well yeah. done. What about you, John? Oh fuck, um. <laughs> That we haven't talked about, I don't know what I've got left because I, you know, watched this movie three times and the only reason I haven't watched it more is just because I did feel I need a break. But I, just talking about it now, like, I want to watch it again and I can't think of, like, like something that we haven't just so well. And can I be... uh a man pig for a second and just say yes the sex scene was great hey you said it so uh, i'll i i said it so. <laughs> he's gonna I ignore that <laughs> love is love even whenever uh you, you got a 50 50 shot of the person he's living with killing you <laughs> or as i call it a relationship <laughs> today the day they're gonna stab me we'll find out <laughs> all right so other question what did you think sucked about this movie Wait, did Sammy get to answer the first one? Oh, yeah, Sammy, did you get... Nah, I'm not important. I forgot forgot you were on the show. (laughs) 
<laughs> it's today the day Sammy's going to stab me. We'll find out. You know, the irony that we do female leading, like, female <laughs> lead films, and yet somehow... She gets forgotten about. I remember you saying This is my month, damn it. <laughs> you can ignore me in December. Before you start killing co-hosts, remember, I remembered you. <laughs> this is true. <laughs> uh, you know, honestly, I don't have a whole lot to add. Um, I mean, I just, I really liked the entire stylization of this film. I liked the narrative style of it. I liked that it had that kind of film noir feeling to it. And I liked that what I felt, okay, I, I liked Bound. And I thought that it was We have good. you on record liking Bound. No, no, yeah, right, I do. But I think what I was missing from Bound, I gained in this movie. In that I found the storyline to be a lot more interesting. And I think that it was it was better executed. The dialogue was better. It did all of the things that you can get in a film noir, but it did it without the like cheesy kind of extra stuff that that's sort of unnecessary. It did it with good storytelling, good acting, and good dialogue. Meanwhile, I thought Bound did it all with all of that, but anyway. <laughs> <laughs> the television. Ah, oh, honey, why'd you turn it off? <laughs> <laughs> one day my joy pants uh impression is going to get better it may be the day before i die but it's going to happen okay so for what feels like a short segment what didn't you like it ended i also know it's because the composer and him are friends and that's beyond point yeah i i don't have anything really about anything i didn't like about it i I love every second of this movie. It's one of those movies I gladly own, and I will now just talk about it more. And I was like, God, I kind of want to end this podcast and watch it again. Yeah. <laughs> any of y'all have any negative things? I said my thing. <laughs> uh, uh, Sammy, only, do you have anything? I want to make only sure you're I, only, only thing I really have is that despite the fact that I loved how this, how they chose to do the exposition in this film, in, in in sort of a narrative style, I did have trouble following the storyline, which is fine. I mean, it just it it's it's because of the complexity of the film. So I don't really, yeah. I, it's it's a pro and a con. The actual only complaint I have is the sound mixing, I guess, in the film. And I don't know, I don't know if this has anything to do with the actual filmmaking itself, or if this is more a byproduct of like watching it on the television but the dialogue was so low and the music was so loud oh that's that, just watch that's just watching 5.1 sound on a 2.0 uh, yeah i was like it oh god it made it so hard to follow well let, I, me, t- let me sing you the song of uh, many a early dvd <laughs> that exact same problem well and i agree with you sammy on the uh on your first viewing of it, because that was my only gripe I had when I first saw it. It's like, it was great, but uh, I, I don't quite know how it all added up. Add up. I, I don't really know. There's a lot of things I think I missed on the first viewing. Yeah, Watching this is... Him, it, it just it went really smooth. And just like, because you know what's coming, you know what to look for. It, it, it helps with repeated viewings. Yeah, I, I mean, 
I remember that first viewing being convoluted for me, and then the second viewing, I was just like, oh, this makes a little more sense. It's still going to be hard to break down. Well, yeah, because it's such a dense movie. But yeah, that, that, this was a very short segment. <laughs> All right, it's time for uh, our final segment in probably what is going to be the least surprising of maybe any of our episodes. <laughs> <laughs> because we keep the mystery buried deep in so many of these episodes. What are you talking about? I'm very mysterious with my opinions. All right, so since I picked <laughs> it, Sammy, Joseph, unlike most of the characters in this movie, did you survive Atomic Blonde? No, I didn't. <laughs> my God, I did not survive this movie. Yeah, of course I did. <laughs> Sorry, it's just a joke now. It's probably not funny, but I, I enjoy it. It wasn't funny the first time. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> it probably wasn't, but I don't care. <laughs> Unlike that joke, which died a few weeks ago, I absolutely survived this film. Yeah. And to the surprise and shock of literal no one, yeah, I survived this film. Um, in fact, I like this movie better on the rewatch than I did the first time. So, uh, so Sammy, I we, I might lend you my disc and just be like, watch it again and see, tell me what you think. Okay. Okay. But I definitely want to know what you think next week. Because oh <laughs> next week we wrap up the main episodes uh, for LGBT month and we're getting to the week Sammy has dreaded most, which is Transgender Week. But that's not because it's Transgender Week. It's because subtitles have entered the chat. And the film is not entitled Inglorious Bastards. No. No. In fact, uh, this movie has been called a fantastic movie because the title of this movie is A Fantastic Woman from director Sebastian Lelio. And it's going to be the first film in a while that... um, all three of us have, are uh, seeing for the first time. That's very Cause, true. Uh, yeah, because I've had this movie for about two weeks, and I'm just like, I'll I'll get to it uh, whenever it's the episode week, because I want to. I kind of want to go into it with y'all on the same level. So we're uh, we're all fresh, and it's not like I know it's coming. Yeah. So this is a week where one of us could not survive, or all three of us could not survive. I doubt that. <laughs> I sincerely doubt that because I was specifically looking for transgender film starring a trans actor or actress that wasn't a fucking dumpster fire and all and all arrows pointed towards this one. So, I mean, it was it, this is Oscar nominated. No, it's an Oscar winner. This won an Oscar. Really? Yeah, for best foreign language film. So, what year did so, it come out? Um, a couple of years ago, like uh. Uh, 2017. Oh wow! Yeah, so it's a it's a recent film, and um, I also before uh, in in the lead up process, I do want to check out his film Gloria and the English language remake uh, he made of it called Gloria Bell with Julianne Moore, uh, one of Sammy's <laughs> other favorite people on the planet. <clears throat> um, so tune in next week whenever that didn't happen, and I just watched this movie twice in a panic. Stay tuned for the big mystery of next week, which is going to be, did Sammy make it through the film without falling asleep? Do, do, do the three of us need to get together and watch it? And, and you know, Joseph and I occasionally poke you with a stick. We'll take turns. Probably. You'll take the first shift. I'll take the second shift. Wait a minute. How long is this movie? 
Uh, see, three hours forty-seven minutes. I'm kidding. Oh. Uh, <laughs> less than two hours. Okay. Oh, thank God. Well, we'll take thirty-minute shifts. You take the first thirty minutes. I'll take the second thirty minutes, and then we'll alternate right. until the movie's over. All right. Sammy's gonna be fine. Uh, <laughs> does anybody have anything they want to give a shout out to this week? Uh, Loki. It's really good. Is it? Yeah, I, I'm really liking it. Uh, okay, because I started the first episode and I too fell asleep. So, it, they're really, Marvel's doing really good with their TV series of uh, really doing some experimental stuff, but still keeping with the superhero genre. Yeah, in which this, I'm very excited for She-Hulk when that comes out because I think She-Hulk is a great character and is kind of underrated. Yeah. Um, does it any point Owen Wilson say wow? Uh, I think so, but it's not his usual way if he does. He's actually like, doing a really good job on this on the show. Well, Wilson is not bad. He's not bad, but he, he usually gets typecasted a lot. Into, he like, just hey, plays, yeah, he plays he, Dupree in everything yeah, he makes. It's like, just be Owen Wilson again, but you know, I probably could do more than that. Yeah, but just be Owen Wilson. But he's yeah. actually doing really good in this, in this series. and uh, It's only two episodes in, but it's, I like it a lot so far. Awesome. Um, I'll give a shout out to Criterion Channel, um, which is a streaming service for art house nerds like me and Joseph and uh, the bane of Sammy's existence, uh, <laughs> probably. Uh, although um, they added Pink Flamingos recently, so Joseph's probably going to give them some side eye as well. Uh-huh. But um, they, uh, if uh, but uh, what I love about the Criterion Channel is not only does does it give you the option to basically dive into some of the great additions? Like, cause they will have like the movies that they have put on, uh, either DVD or Blu-ray along with a lot, all the special features, but they have collections of like films that, you know, you maybe not have seen and let you deep, do deep dives into an entire filmmaker's work or, you know, a good chunk of it. Um, so it's really cool on that. And this month for Pride Month, they uh, did an entire collection of films from Rob Epstein and Jeffrey uh, Friedman, who directed The Times of Harvey Milk, which will be coming up on the show pretty soon as well. Uh, but um, I recommend checking out their films, especially the film, uh, the documentary they made called The Celluloid Closet, which is an early, which is a '90s film. Uh, about the history of queer cinema so it doesn't you know have the you know it doesn't have cover anything after bound but it is kind of cool to see where you know how the 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 depiction of homosexuality began and what what it evolved to finally so i recommend that sammy you got anything no no not this week (laughs) well listeners thank you for tuning in so uh joseph sammy thank you for doing this with me again and uh i apologize to sammy in advance for next week uh for whatever the subtitles do to her well watch her absolutely love this movie next week i haven't all right i'm gonna call it right now she's gonna hate the fact that it was subtitled but in the end she's gonna survive the movie because um of what the story is okay uh, I'm uh, look i'm just gonna be up front and we can delve more into this next week and this is gonna sound terrible but it, it actually has very little to do with the subtitles because I don't mind subtitles. Um, in fact, on Atomic Blonde, because of the whole situation with the music, I had to use them 
so I could so I could <laughs> understand <to> my world. <laughs> right. So I could understand a lot, you know, more of what was going on. It's more the foreign film aspect of it. And I know that sounds terrible, but foreign films to me are very similar to how I feel about older movies. It's not that they're not good. It's not that you will not find one that I like. It's that um I'm a little bit more hesitant to try them, and a lot of the way they're they're composed, a lot of the stylization of the films, just because it's an entirely it's entirely different, is something I'm not used to, and it's something I'm not always a fan of. Uh, see, and now I'm just like I'm going to break her of this. <laughs> that's that's my new goal. But until next week, uh, listeners, thank you all for tuning in. If you like us, give us a five-star rating on iTunes because it helps us with our ratings. Like and subscribe to us on wherever you're, wherever you happen to have found us. Uh, we're on Facebook. We're on Twitter. I occasionally do things on there. Sammy does things on uh, TikTok and Instagram and uh, YouTube. Uh, we just you just put up a new episode recently. Uh, which one did you put up, Sammy? Uh, promising young woman so definitely go and subscribe to our youtube channel because i do have a feeling that at some point we might be moving more in that direction but we stay tuned yeah. <laughs> we're 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 resisting that as hard as uh sammy's resisting sometimes well <laughs> the listeners uh, thank you again for tuning in and then till next week i fucking love podcasting Surviving Chick Flicks is created and hosted by John Baggett and Samantha McDaniel. Our audio engineer and editor is Cody McLean. For an ad-free version of the show, please visit patreon.com slash surviving chick flicks, where $5 a month gets you an ad-free version of the show, as well as our manly movie of the month. Like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter and Instagram, and please give us a five-star rating on iTunes. All opinions are that of the hosts, and no copyright infringements are intended. Surviving Chick Flicks is a Circle of Jug production, all rights reserved. I fucking love Berlin!